Well, we are in the ninth chapter of Daniel. We're getting into a really great part here today. Uh, Daniel 70 weeks. We kind of had an introduction to that last week, but this week we get into some really specific details. And it's so exciting to see how precise and how specific God's Word is when it comes to prophecy. So I'm going to read verses 24 through 27, and then we'll get into it. Seventy weeks, or remember as I told you last week, 77s, literally in the Hebrew, Shabuah. Sounds kind of like the word Shabbat, doesn't it? Shabuah, seven. So even as the Sabbath, the Shabbat is on the seventh day of the week, which according to the Jewish calendar is Saturday, not Sunday. Seventy-sevens are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Six things to be accomplished in order to fulfill God's plan and purpose for his people Israel, which now you and I, even though we're Gentiles, most of us, I suspect, Perhaps a lot of us have some Jewish DNA. I, I mentioned many years ago when we were over in the other building, I think one of God's, God has a tremendous sense of humor. Do you know that? And, you know, the dispersion of the Jews, the diaspora, when they were dispersed throughout the world after 70 A.D., there was already some dispersion that went on before that, obviously, but after 70 A.D., the Jews were really spread out all over the world. And uh, that was very dramatically amplified by the Holocaust, World War II, all the European Jews that were slaughtered by Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And that caused even more dispersion of Jews. I think it might be God, one of God's greatest jokes on the anti-Semitic masses of this world that there's a lot of people running around out there with Jewish DNA and they don't even know it. But these six things to be accomplished, they have in part but not completely yet. We went over that last week, so if you missed it, you might want to get go online and uh, watch that. Know therefore and understand, verse 25, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. So it's going to be rebuilt and then destroyed again. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then shall he confirm a covenant... With many, or some translations say the many, I guess we'll get into that in a moment, for one week, or one seven. But in the middle of the, the seven, he shall bring to an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, and we'll dig into this deeper as we get into this, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this fantastic, amazing, prophetic passage in the book of Daniel. And we ask that you give us insight and understanding as we delve into this this morning. And Lord, I know that as we do that, it's going to be very exciting just to see 
how these things are playing out before our very eyes. We ask you to bless this time of Bible study in Jesus' name. Amen. I love it. Right here, verse 25. Know therefore and understand. This is important. It's possible to know something without understanding it, you see. But the angel tells Daniel, know therefore and understand. So how do we do that? How do we get beyond just knowing to also understanding? Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So the ultimate ability to understand especially when it comes to spiritual things, but even in the natural world. Time and time again, scientific discoveries, archaeological discoveries have done nothing but to confirm the veracity, the truth of God's Word. Do you know that? Time and time again, people have tried to discredit God and His Word, only to be discredited themselves as more and more information comes forth. In fact, the more we know about this universe, the more we know about DNA. I, years and years ago, Dave Hunt, how many of you remember a great man of God, a great author named Dave Hunt? I was at a conference over 20 years ago where Dave was speaking. He's with the Lord now, of course. But he was making the case, he was going over the details about human DNA, and really DNA and everything. Animals, plants, human beings, and how the, the whole DNA scenario is basically proof positive of a master designer, a creator. And it's getting harder and harder for secular, non-believing scientists to deny the existence of a creator because the more they learn, the more they find out, the more they realize this world, this universe, this, everything about it is far too complex to have all just happened by accident. Know therefore and understand. So if we want to get beyond just knowing to actually understanding, we need God's wisdom, the knowledge and understanding that he imparts to us. How many of you have heard of a guy named Sir Isaac Newton? Yeah? He's one of the greatest scientists and mathematicians of all time. English. But he was also a tremendous believer. He was even more aggressive and voracious with his study of theology and the scriptures than he was with his studies of mathematics and physics and so forth. He was a, was a master student and teacher of prophetic scripture especially. Listen to what Sir Isaac Newton said several hundred years ago. About the time of the end, with a big E, we all know what end he's talking about, right? What did Jesus tell his disciples? Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. This present age is about to come to an end, and there's going to be a new world order, but it's not going to be the one the globalists are seeking. It's not going to be the one the new agers are seeking. It's going to be the new world order of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. At a, about the time of the end... A body of men, provided we still have them. A body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies. 
I think of my late great pastor Chuck Smith was one of the, the, the major proponents of prophecy and its fulfillment in these last days. Chuck Smith, Hal Lindsey, Tim LaHaye, Thomas Ice. If you don't know who he is, look him up. We had him speak, gosh, it, be, it must have been at least 10 years ago, but Thomas Ice heads up uh, the department of the pre-tribulation rapture at a, at a major Christian university. God has raised up in these last days a body of men who will turn their attention to the prophecies and listen to what he says next, Isaac Newton, and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. Isaac Newton, what a prophetic statement he made several hundred years ago. I'm going to read it again. This is so powerful and dynamic to me. About the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation. There have been many other interpretations, of course, many different schools of thought when it comes to prophecy. Eschatology is the technical term. Insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. And I've told you this many times, and I think you know it to be true, that those within the body of Christ who embrace these prophecies the way we do here at Calvary Chapel are in the minority. We're, we're not embracing the majority opinion. But how many times throughout human history have the majority been right? Look back to the days of Moses. Constant opposition he endured. The mob was always trying to lynch him, get rid of him, turn on him happened with Jesus. It's a good thing the majority opinion didn't prevail when Christ was here, right? And they tried over and over again to do away with him. And finally, it would appear that they succeeded when they crucified him. The only problem, they didn't realize you can't keep a God-man down. And he rose from the dead. Sir Isaac Newton. And it reminds me of what we've already read as we look ahead to the end of the book of Daniel. Daniel 12, 4, the angel tells Daniel, You, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Just like Isaac Newton said, at the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies. Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. The angel was telling Daniel about the very time we're living in. This idea of people running to and fro. It spoke of a time way beyond when Daniel was alive when people would be able to traverse the earth at a rapid pace. And I've shared this with you before too. But up until the beginning of the 20th century, man had never been able to travel more than 20 miles per hour. Now the space shuttle goes 20,000 miles per hour. And your cars go a lot faster than 20 miles per hour, don't they? And our airplanes, you can fly halfway around the world in 12 to 14 hours. Daniel, the angel, was telling Daniel about the time that you and I are living in and the exponential growth in knowledge. The amount of knowledge that's been amassed in our lifetimes is greater than all the knowledge amassed by mankind up until the 20th century. 
And we were just talking in the back room when we were praying back there about, Dave and I were talking about how things are right on the precipice of just another massive explosion in technology and knowledge and information. You and I, as just the average, ordinary, everyday citizen, don't have a clue as to what's going on behind closed doors. Artificial intelligence, robotics, everything you can imagine, transhumanism, it's all happening, and it, and it dwarfs all the knowledge that's been gathered. Think about life a hundred years ago even. I mean, they were barely into the automobile age and barely into the airplane age just a hundred years ago. Seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And then Daniel 12, 9, he tells them again, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed. When? Till the time of the end. And so even as there are many, just like Isaac Newton said, there would be much uh, clamor and opposition. There are many clamoring against and opposing the idea that we're in the last days, that Jesus is coming soon. And yet, the teaching, the knowledge, the understanding of prophetic scriptures has exploded. Again, just like secular knowledge has exploded, spiritual knowledge has exploded too, because the angel told Daniel these things would be opened up and revealed at the end of time. Because now as we begin, begin to understand things more clearly, we realize that never before in the history of the human race would it have been possible for the things that we've studied in the book of Revelation to come about. But we finally reached that point. So, know therefore and understand, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. So we've been given a time frame here, a time period. The time period designated by Gabriel, the angel here, runs from the command to rebuild Jerusalem. Remember, it had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Daniel and his compatriots were taken captive, taken to Babylon. They've been there almost 70 years now at the time that Daniel is writing this. God said it would be a 70-year period, and then they would be released from captivity. So from that command to rebuild Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah would be a total of 483 years. The 77s begin with the commandment of Artaxerxes Longimanus, given on March 14th, 445 B.C., Nehemiah 2.1, if you're writing down notes. Now, earlier, King Cyrus had authorized the rebuilding of the temple in 538 B.C., 2 Chronicles 36, 22 through 23, and Ezra 1, 1 through 4. But this scripture specifically says rebuilding of Jerusalem, the command to restore and build Jerusalem, not the temple, but Jerusalem. Even in the, what you might call, secular publication, the 1990 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica, remember when we had those on our bookshelves? Now everything's online. 1990 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica states that Artaxerxes Longimanus 
ascended to the throne of the Medo-Persian Empire in July 465 B.C. And by Hebrew tradition, when the day of the month is not specifically stated, it's given to be the first day of that month. So the day of the decree by Artaxerxes was the first day of the Hebrew month Nisan, 445 B.C. The first day of Nisan, 445 B.C., corresponds to the 14th day of March on the Roman or Julian calendar. And this was even certified by astronomical calculations at the British Observatory and reported by Sir Robert Anderson, whom we'll talk about more in just a moment. So we even have secular confirmation, astronomical calculations, and so forth, that that date was March 14, 445 B.C., when Artaxerxes gave that command. And we're told, first, there will be seven sevens, 49 years to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, which was completed in 396 B.C. If you take 445 to 396, what do you get? 49 years. Are you amazed yet? You're going to be more amazed. And then it would be followed by 62 sevens, 434 more years, until Messiah the Prince, whom might that be? Jesus. If you add them together, the seven sevens, the 62 sevens, that gives you 483 years. And yet, Daniel said, 70 sevens are decreed, or the angel told Daniel, 70 sevens are decreed. That would be a total of 490 years. So we've got to account for seven more years still. Again, Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book about this called The Coming Prince. And so we delve into the, again, the difference between the Jewish lunar calendar based upon the movements of the moon versus the Roman Julian calendar based upon the movements of the sun. The Jewish lunar calendar date of the 10th of Nisan was equivalent to the Julian Roman solar calendar date of Sunday the 6th of April, A.D. 32, the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey, Palm Sunday. How does he come up with this date? By calculating the length of the period of time between the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the public presentation of Messiah the Prince. That was the only day during Jesus' entire time here on earth when he publicly, openly presented himself to his nation as the Messiah. Not that he came out and said, hey everybody, I'm, I'm the Messiah, but by riding into Jerusalem on that donkey on Palm Sunday, he made that statement. The people were bowing down, worshiping him, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees commanded he tell them to be quiet. He says, if I do, even the rocks will cry out. As I've told you before, during a time of peace, the king would ride into the city on a donkey and a time of war it would be on a horse. Jesus was presenting himself to the nation of Israel as Messiah the Prince, the Prince of Peace. And if you take March 14th, 445 B.C., and add exactly 173,880 days, that brings you to April 6th, A.D. 32. The interval contained exactly into the very day, or seven times 69 prophetic years of 360 days. You take that, and it comes out to exactly 
173,880 days. It brings you right up to April 6, 32 AD. The first 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy. I don't know how anybody could argue with this kind of accuracy and specificity. Amazing. And again, keep in mind, don't forget, the angel told Daniel that these things were for the completion, the fulfillment of God's plans and promises for his people. Remember verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And so as I've told you many times, if people reject the idea that God is not done with Israel yet, and there are many who believe that he is, and that's why they're anti-Semitic, that's why they're pro-Palestinian and so forth, they reject the idea that God plans to restore his people. And yet the scriptures are full of promises that he's going to do just that. Jesus is first and foremost a Jewish Messiah. Remember the Apostle Paul, even though he said he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, he always went first to the local synagogue, whatever city he was in, and he preached the gospel to the Jews first. To the Jews first and then the Gentiles. That was his motto. If God was finished with the Jews, why would Paul have made that his motto? To the Jew first and then the Gentile. And Paul talks about in the book of Romans that they've been set apart for a time, for a season, but not permanently. And so the key to understanding Bible prophecy is that we have to understand that it all re revolves around Israel, and you and I are grafted in now. We are part of Israel. And again, Paul makes the point in his writings that, and Jesus made that point too when he rebuked the Pharisees, that it's not just a matter of ethnicity or bloodline. It's a spiritual thing. Spiritual Israel, whether you're a Jew or a, a Gentile, embracing the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, is what makes you a part of the spiritual kingdom of Israel. That means anyone can be a part of it. Anyone can participate. Anyone can be a part of God's forever family. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. All are one in Christ. So the street shall be built again and the wall, or one translation says with streets and a trench or a moat or plaza and moat. The street shall be built again with plaza and moat. The public square and, and moat were rebuilt by the time the first seven weeks, 49 years, were completed. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, so you've got the seven weeks or seven years, you've got the 62 weeks, 434 years. The second grouping of sevens, equaling an additional 434 years, you add that together, you're at 483. We're still seven years short of the 490. But then what happens? At the end of the 69 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And the phrase cut off here in the Hebrew literally means to destroy, to kill. The Messiah shall be killed. And he was only temporarily. But not for himself. Jesus was cut off for the sins of all mankind, not for his own. The Bible tells us he knew no sin, but he became sin on our behalf. 
So Jesus was cut off. The Messiah was cut off, not for himself. He was perfect. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God. He'd never done one wrong thing. He'd never sinned once in his entire life. And yet, sadly, we have a growing number of people under the umbrella of the church today that actually believe Jesus sinned, according to recent polls. If Jesus sinned, he can't be our Messiah. The only way he could be our Messiah be the sacrifice for our sins if he knew no sin, which is what he knew, no sin. Not for himself, for us. So after 483 years, let's break this down. Literally, specifically, according to the prophecy here in Daniel, after 483 years, the Messiah would come but would be killed and would not at that time receive his earthly kingdom. That's what threw everybody off, remember? Because the Jews then and even now today are focused on a military Messiah, a political Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah who would rise up and lead them in rebellion against the Romans. Today, it's very similar Israel is surrounded by enemies, constant threats of being destroyed by the Islamic nations surrounding them, and other groups that would be happy to join in, as we read about in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And so they missed him because they didn't realize he was coming the first time to save us from our sins, the Prince of Peace. And then he would come again, as he told his disciples, and he would come back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he would destroy the evil armies of this world and set up his millennial kingdom here on planet Earth. That's the second coming, which is coming soon to a planet near you. So this perfectly explains what happened. The Messiah would be cut off and have nothing the first time. And by his own willing sacrifice, he laid down his life. He says, no man takes it from me. I lay down my life willingly. And then I take it up again, which he did. And then we go on here in verse 26 still. The people of the ruler who will come. This is another reference to the Antichrist, my friends. The ruler who will come. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 by the Romans, the Roman legions under the general Titus. And when it says the people of the ruler who will come, again, there's so much, many different belief systems regarding where the seat of this final world, one world government will be. For years it was believed it would be the European Union. Still a strong possibility. They have the woman riding the beast in the form of a statue in front of the EU building in Brussels, Belgium. They have the woman riding the beast on their coins, the euros, quite possibly the European Union. And when you look at the people of the ruler who will come and the fact that the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. And here's another little interesting tidbit. You remember Hitler declared that he was establishing the Third Reich. That literally means thousand-year reign. And he intended that his Third Reich 
would be the successor to the Roman Empire. We know that Jesus is going to rule and reign over this world for how long? A thousand years. So we can safely assume that will be the Antichrist's goal as well. But I hate to tell him he's not going to make it. In fact, he's not going to make it beyond seven years. Because these events were to occur after the 69 weeks had run their course and before the 70th week began. Notice there's a pause, there's an interlude here. There must be a space of time between the conclusion of the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th. Some would argue against that. Why would all of a sudden there be an interruption of 2,000 years? Well, the Bible calls this last 2,000 years the church age and the age of the Gentiles. It is an interlude because by and large Israel was set aside, was set apart because of their rejection of the Messiah. We know they've suffered tremendous persecution. But we've also seen another very key important prophetic sign that in 1948, Israel became a nation for the first time in almost 2,000 years. Did you know there's no, never been any other nation, any other ethnic group on the face of the earth that's been driven from their homeland and then reestablished as a nation after 2,000 years? Never happened before in human history. It's not ever going to happen again either. It's a one-time event. Jesus said, when you see the fig tree begin to blossom, the fig tree is a symbol of Israel in the Bible. Know that the time is near. There is nothing in Scripture that demands all 490 years run concurrently. God can space them out any way He chooses. Would you agree with that? So there was a pause between the 69th week, which concluded with the cutting off of the Messiah, His crucifixion, and, of course, he rose from the dead. And then the 70th week, there was a, a pause. That pause was so that the entire world would have the opportunity to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, writes Peter, but that all should come to repentance. So the last 2,000 years have been this massive ongoing opportunity given to the human race by God that they might be saved. But at some point, God's grace period, it has an expiration date. Remember the days of Noah, the days of Lot, and so forth. We've had one big long grace period. Approximately one-third of recorded human history has been dedicated to this pause so that the whole world would have the opportunity to know Christ, to know God. But it's about to come to an end. Verse 27, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. He, the prince of verse 26, the Antichrist, which we saw previously introduced here in the book of Daniel, in Daniel 7, 8, and verses 24 through 26. The prince who will come shall confirm a covenant with the many. Some translations have the word the in there, more specific. It's not a general statement it's speaking specifically of the Jewish people, the many, for one week. What does this tell us? He will make a seven-year peace treaty 
with the many, the Jewish people and their adversaries at the beginning of the tribulation. What has every president for at least the last 50 years been trying to do? Usher in peace between Israel and their enemies, right? Every elected president, Republican or Democrat, they have felt if they could just be the guy to broker that peace deal, they would be the hero of the world. No one's been able to completely do it yet. There have been partial agreements here and there, but not a complete, solid, binding, unified peace treaty where Israel could breathe a sigh of relief. Almost every day we hear somebody from Iran or someplace saying, we want to destroy Israel. We want to drive them into the sea. And as Avi Lipkin has taught us, the, uh, those of the Islamic world consider Israel the little Satan. Guess who the big Satan is? Us, right? So you can imagine, again, as we, we talk about the fact that the majority of people in the world, not just Jews, but probably Gentiles too, if they were looking for a Messiah at all, it would be somebody who's a political, economic, military Messiah. And so the person who can pull off this deal will be that prince, that ruler, that antichrist. And again, we have recently witnessed, particularly under the previous regime, a number of agreements that nobody thought could ever happen. Multiple Arab nations signing peace treaties with Israel. There's more to come. Now, in the middle of the week, this last week, the 70th week, the last seven-year period, which will be triggered by the signing of this peace treaty, in the middle of the week, he, he shall bring, the Antichrist, an end to sacrifice and offering. Well, wait a minute, we don't have any sacrifice and offering. There's no temple. But again, another sign that the tribulation has just begun is that the temple will be rebuilt. Some people are saying we're already in the tribulation because they look around at all the stuff going on in the world and it seems like it. However, there's no temple yet. Did you know that all the parts are in place? They've got a prefabricated temple ready to go. I visited the Temple Institute in Old City of Jerusalem on multiple occasions. There's a whole tour you can take and they show you how they've made all the implements for the showbread, for the, for the musical instruments, for the priest's garments, every single thing that you need to have an Old Testament temple is already in place and ready to go. And at the very moment, think about it, if they tried to build the temple now, there'd be a massive uprising by the Islamists, the Muslims. There'd be bloody warfare breakout if they tried to build that temple right now. But once this peace treaty is in place, Hello. Hello. But then, halfway through the, the seven years, the last seven years, the 70th week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist is basically going to break his covenant. And of the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Let me give you an, e an easier to understand translation of this. On a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. He will desecrate the temple by demanding worship of himself in it. 
and many believe there will either be some kind of a holographic image of him. It could be artificial intelligence, robotic, but there will be some way in which he will be presented in that temple as God to be worshipped. And Jesus predicted this, Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, so you've got the, the holy place, then you have the holy of holies, the most holy place. So in that outer tier of the temple, whoever reads, let him understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains because all hell's about to break loose. The false man of peace, the false prince of peace who fooled everybody, duped everyone, sucked the Jews into this covenant with the surrounding nations, well now it all falls apart. Get out of town. Head for the hills. And although most Jews do not read the New Testament, Avi Lipkin does, we know that. Apparently, many of them will begin to do so during the tribulation. I think Jesus is counting on that so that they will know what they need to do. And in fact, many of them will have been converted, apparently. Again, referencing over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, big D, not just any day, the day, will not come unless the falling away comes first. Again, there, there are different beliefs on that falling away. I think the majority opinion amongst those that I would adhere to as reliable prophetic interpreters believe that this means there will be a great falling away from the church, an apostasy. We see it happening right now. I just mentioned how a growing number of so-called believers believe that Jesus sinned. A similar number believe that there are more than one way to get to heaven. Even though they identify as Christian, oh, but you don't necessarily have to be a Christian. Really, is that what the Bible says? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. We've got a church today that is just about theologically bankrupt. Jesus said the truth, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But if churches aren't speaking, teaching, preaching the truth, how can people be set free? And what was the freedom Jesus was talking about? The freedom from sin, which leads to death. We're in the age of deception, according to Chuck Missler. And according to Gary Cowan, we're in the age of insanity. Deception. Habitual, ongoing deception leads to insanity, I believe. That explains a lot, doesn't it, folks? Let no one deceive you by any means. Jesus warned that. Matthew 24, several times Jesus warned against deception. And we're seeing it en masse today. What could be a greater deception than a man looking in the mirror and thinking he's a woman? What could be a greater deception than a woman looking in the mirror and thinking she's a man or a little girl or a little boy? What could be a greater deception than telling a woman your abortion is for your health? 
when the chances are you'll be destroyed for the rest of your life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. You may never be able to have children again. Women have died after abortions. They don't talk about that. Oh, we want abortions to be safe and rare. First of all, you're a liar. You're a liar from the pit of hell because they are not safe and they certainly aren't rare. And when our Supreme Court has the godly gall to overturn Roe versus Wade, the demonic hordes rise up! Don't get me started. I know you didn't. I got me started. <laughs> Let's try to get through these two verses. <laughs> Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The alternate interpretation, and I believe it's both. The first interpretation, the falling away is the apostasy of the last days. Nobody in this room could argue against the fact that we are in a state of apostasy. Secondly, the falling away can also mean the snatching away of the saints. I believe it's both. Well, the last days will be a great falling away, but those who don't fall away will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the abomination of desolation. That Daniel predicted, that Jesus predicted, that Paul predicted. And there are those, again, there is one stream of eschatological theology called the preterists, and they believe everything's already happened. Every prophetic scripture has already been fulfilled. It's already in the past. And they would tell you that the abomination of desolation happened in 167 B.C. when Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. But they're absolutely wrong because Jesus and Paul both spoke of this as a future event some 200 years after Antiochus. Jesus came to this world after Antiochus. Paul was in this world after Antiochus, and they both spoke of it as a future event. Okay, so even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate, or let me give you an easier to understand version, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him, the Antichrist. And so he will have his 15 minutes of fame. He will present himself in the temple to be God, demand that the whole world worship him. And all these things will continue on this seven years, the last week of Daniel's 70 weeks, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. At Christ's second coming, the Antichrist and his false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 19.20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived, there's that word again, deceived those who received the mark of the beast. Gee, if you take the mark of the beast, you might be a chip off the old block. A play on words there. 
by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And again, folks, lest we forget, the key to understanding end times prophecy is Israel. If you don't understand that, then you won't understand prophecy. This entire prophecy is directed towards God's fulfillment and conclusion of his dealings with his people. 490 literal years, 483 years were fulfilled the day Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey. Show me any other book in the world, secular or religious, that can do that. There isn't one. It was fulfilled to the very day. The nation of Israel officially rejected him as their Messiah. Again, many in Israel believed. But the leaders of Israel rejected him, crucified him. And so they were temporarily set aside. But now they're a nation again, and God is working on the hearts of his people day by day until that day when they will fully embrace Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Folks, Daniel's 70 weeks, Daniel's 490 years. We have one seven to go, one period of seven years to go, and I believe the countdown to the final seven days has now begun. Mark 13, 29, Jesus said, So you also, when you see these things happening... Know that it is near at the doors. Luke 21, 28. I love this one. Now when these things begin to happen, have they begun? Yes, they have. When these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. That time when we will see him face to face. We don't want to be caught looking down looking to the right or to the left or behind us, we want to be looking up because our redemption draweth nigh. Let's stand. As we prepare to go to the Lord in prayer, if you have a request this morning, please raise your hand. If you have a prayer request, lots of those across the room. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing, incredible accuracy and specificity of your prophetic scriptures, Lord. And thank you for men like Isaac Newton who foresaw hundreds of years ago that at the end of time that a body of men would rise up and demand that these prophecies be taken literally. And Lord, we stand with those men, whoever they are, wherever they are, anyone and everyone who stands unflinchingly for the truth of your word, we stand with them. Lord, we believe every word, every cross T, every dotted I will not pass away. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Father God, we thank you and praise you and ask that you help us to continue to be vigilant, to be diligent, to keep our eyes to the skies, looking for Jesus because he is coming soon for those who are watching for him, for those who are ready, for those who are prepared. Lord, we ask you to use us in these last days to reach out to as many as possible who don't yet know you. They're still living in deception that you would use us whenever and however possible to bring them out of darkness into the light. 
Now, Father, I lift up those who've raised their hands this morning, quite a few, as, as always. Lord, and it's not surprising that we would have our needs being brought to you. Lord, you're our Heavenly Father. You're our provider. You're our healer. You're our creator. And so, Lord, we lift up now, first of all, those with physical issues, physical afflictions, sickness, illness, disease. Lord, we know that ultimately these bodies will not survive in their present form. But Lord, we desire to, to be as healthy as possible for as long as possible so that we might be able to serve you and serve others here on this planet until such time as you see fit to call us home. So I lift up anyone and everyone here today or watching online with some kind of an illness or affliction, Lord, we ask that you'd pour out your healing oil upon them. Give your people relief from pain, from injury, from disease. And Lord, help us to be quick to give you the glory when that healing does come. And Lord, we thank you that you work in many different ways, so we accept that, whether it be through doctors, through medicine, or just supernatural healing, Lord, whatever, however you choose to do it. We thank you and praise you even now for pouring out your healing power upon us. Lord, we lift up those with mental and emotional issues. We know that many are struggling today with anxiety and depression and so many other mental and emotional issues. We pray for healing for those too, Lord. Help us to draw near to you and to cling to you and to allow you to minister your peace to us, Father. Lord, you told us if we would bring everything to you in prayer, that you would guard our hearts and minds with the peace that passes all understanding. Help us, Lord, to be quick to do that in any and every situation, no matter how big or how small. We bring it all to you, Lord, and we thank you for that peace that you promised to us, the peace that passes all understanding. Father, we lift up those with relationship issues. Lord, we know that the enemy, he wants to divide and conquer, to divide us, to tear us apart. We ask that you would heal Broken marriages, damaged marriages, damaged friendships, damaged family relationships, relationships in the workplace, in our neighborhoods. Lord, that the enemy would not have his way with us in terms of our relationships and fellowship with others. You'd help us to be peacemakers, to be the first to reach out for healing and reconciliation. And we ask that you'd restore those damaged relationships in Jesus' name. Finally, we pray for economics, Lord. We're living in perilous times, financially speaking. Everything's going haywire. We're so thankful that we can look to you as our provider. You do take care of us. We ask you to provide for every need. Lord, for someone here today who may be struggling to make ends meet, that you give them wisdom and guidance on how to manage their resources. We pray that you'd provide for them. And Lord, that you'd help us as the body of Christ to be sensitive to one another's needs, to be quick to reach out to one another, to help one another. But ultimately, we trust you and we thank you for taking care of us. And like Paul said, whether he has a lot or a little, he's learned to be thankful, to be grateful. Help us to be the same way. We thank you and praise you, and we ask you bless this final worship song as we worship you together in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 